Wake Up World. You are now tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I'm your host, Devon Pouncey. I'm currently at the PacWest Center in downtown Portland, which is also the home of 1029 and 750 The Game Sports Radio Station. Today is very exciting because this is actually the very first episode of the Wake Up and Win podcast, so I'm excited to get things off the ground and begin this podcast journey with you all the listeners. What's even more exciting is that I have a very special guest on the podcast today. This phenomenal young lady is the editor-in-chief of The Beacon, which is also the student-run media outlet at the University of Portland. She is the recipient of the Salute to Excellence Award in Online Collegiate Sports Reporting, which is given by the National Association of Black Journalists. She has also been granted the opportunity to be a James Reston Fellow with the New York Times this summer, which is a very prestigious internship. Now, I can go on and on about the accomplishments of this young lady, but I think you all catch my drift when I say that she is a pretty big deal. This young lady goes by the name of Malika Andrews. Malika, are you on the line with us? Hi, Devon. Thank you for the um, overzealous intro. I'm not sure I can live up to all that hype. Thanks <laughs> for having me on. <laughs> no problem. I appreciate you for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining us on the podcast today. So what are you up to? Um, you know, I just got finished watching games. That's what I've been up to, watching the final four games today. How about you? Uh, I've actually been doing the same. Uh, <laughs> it was, As is everyone else in the sports world. Yeah, yeah. If we watch sports, that's definitely what we were doing. But it was definitely exciting. We got our money's worth with both games, I'd say. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think my predictions were a little bit off. But I think they've been off the entire tournament, though. So I was just happy to watch some good basketball. Absolutely, yeah. Now, I know you are a very humble yet hardworking journalist, and if we wanted to make this entire episode about you and your accomplishments, we definitely could. But, <laughs> in, but instead, we are going to allow the listeners to experience what you do via broadcast. But before we do that, there is one aspect of your career that I do want to cover, and that is internships. As aforementioned, you've been awarded <clears throat> the opportunity to be a James Reston Fellow and I'd like to congratulate you on that first and foremost. Thank you, sir. But you've also gotten to speak nationally about internships, and why would you consider yourself such an advocate for internships? Um, an advocate for internships? Well, I, I think that you, especially, I mean, in any industry you want to go into, but especially journalism, it's kind of like you can't really learn it in the classroom, whether it's sports journalism, breaking news, kind of whatever you want to go into. It's not something that can be taught in theory. So you got to just go out and do it, right? And the best way to do that, the best way to get your feet wet, get your hands dirty, is going to do internships. Because, you know, when um, places like the New York Times or the Oregonian or whatever, when they say, okay, show me your clips, right? right? You can't turn in your English paper or your poetry or the letter you wrote to your mama last week. You have to come up with, you know, actual real clips, whether that be, you know, your reel from um, a TV internship you did or clips from a newspaper you interned out or your work from an online publication. And so I think that's why it's so important. It's where you actually get to do the work. And it's really difficult, I think, to just jump into journalism without having tried it out a little bit and having kind of something to show for that. Right, right. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I obviously interned here at 1029 and 750 The Game, and that is where I actually got the privilege to meet you. And yeah. I'm, I'm definitely an advocate for internships. My first time doing a demo was actually during my summer 
of interning here and it definitely taught me a lot and I kind of just got through into it. I knew this was always a dream job of mine to be able to do this type of work, but I kind of just didn't know what route to take. And internships definitely taught me that as well as gave me the chance to network. And now I'm employed here at 750 The Game, which is really (laughs) cool. So, And see, everyone says, oh, I just got lucky and got to. And enough people say they just got lucky that you start realizing it's a trend, you know, that like I got lucky enough to get this out of my internship or that. So it's like, well, what do these things have in common? Oh, yeah, the internship part. So I think that's really important. Now, can you just give us a little bit of brief history about what a James Reston Fellow is for some of the listeners who may not know? Yeah, sure. Um, So the James Reston Fellowship is basically a fancy word for the internships at the New York Times. So, you know, you apply like, you know, you would to any other internships through an online application and then you send it off to you don't really know where and then they get back to you. And yeah, so and and the James Reston Fellowship was obviously named after James Reston, and he I think he went by like Scott or Scotty, um, and he was a journalist who was working in like the mid 1930s to like the 1990s, and spent the majority of his career at the time. So the internship is named after that. Nice, nice. Well, once again, I'd like to congratulate you on that. So, like I said, I'm not going to have you get too boastful on the podcast. I, I did that for you in the introduction. But now we can get into this NCAA talk because obviously okay. you've been watching it today and I've been watching it today and I've been watching it as March Madness has carried along. And I think it's definitely been a great tournament. First of all, how are your brackets looking? <laughs> uh, do I have to talk about that part? <laughs> yeah, yes, you do. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent with you. I pick. I I said Duke was going to win it all, and and, aye, aye, and aye. looking back, and looking back, honestly, I I had to fill out because I I freelance for Yahoo, and we all had to make our bracket picks, and I was like, all right, like I'm going to look at some of like the people that I admire the most. I'm not going to throw them under the bus by saying who they are, but I looked at their brackets, and I was like, okay, like I, I'm going to go with Duke, which in hindsight is like, why did I do that? Like. They have had an up and down season, and no, you cannot, you cannot, you know, set aside how dominant Coach K is and how great he is. But he wasn't even on the sideline all season, so I, I, yeah, that's who I had winning. I don't know why I decided to to stick with that, but I did have Duke winning it all. Even though I did have Gonzaga going to the Final Four, but that's not that wasn't a. I'm a superior being with that kind of knowledge. My sister's a student there, and I was just, like, feeling the spidey senses saying that this is the year that they break through that feeling of the Elite Eight and make it to the Final Four. I had them losing in the Final Four, and now I'm thinking they're going all the way. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. It's actually a pretty interesting Final Four because we got two teams from the Northwest playing against Mm -hmm. the two Carolina teams, so that was pretty interesting. But, uh, yeah, I'm a believer in Gonzaga. (laughs) I have pretty I have kind of a secret wager on Gonzaga right now. But <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I think they'll do it. I'm also definitely excited for the University of Oregon. Obviously with you and I both being here in this market, it's definitely good to see the fans and the excitement of the people out right. here in Oregon. Uh Absolutely. It's for the first time in many of our lifetimes that they've been to the Final Four. So seventy eight years, yeah. Right, right. But my team to win it all 
was UCLA. I was a huge fan of Lonzo Ball this <laughs> so year. So you were getting on the Lonzo Ball train. <laughs> yeah. Big baller. I, I was, yeah, the big baller, Brandon. <laughs> I, I think Lonzo Ball, honestly, is just a great player. Mm-hmm. This entire season, I've considered him to be the best college basketball player, the best all-around really? college basketball player. But after this this past weekend, honestly, that kid Malik Monk is really good from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. He's really mm-hmm. good. So I'm I'm kind of on that bandwagon now as well. Obviously, they just took the loss to North Carolina in a phenomenal game. But, yeah, I think Malik Monk, uh, yeah, he's a pretty good player. De'Aaron Fox is pretty good. But I still think Lonzo is the best player coming into the NBA draft. Now that we're talking about this big baller brand, since you brought that up, <laughs> I have to know. I absolutely have to know your perspective on LeVar Ball. You got to tell me something about this guy because I think I got kind of a lot to say about it. Well, here's the thing about LeVar Ball. One, I got to give the man, like, I got to shake his hand if I ever get the chance to because I've written so much about him this past month that I think he's helped me pay my rent, like, significantly. (laughs) So so I can't knock him too hard. Right. Um, But, you know, here's the thing. At the end of the day, like, what he says is ridiculous, and you may think he's just, you know, blowing smoke, and there's no way he could ever beat MJ, and it's kind of ridiculous to say that, you know, where his son is now is already better than Steph Curry, the two-time back-to-back MVP and former league champion. That all being said, though, we're still talking about him. So the dude, marketing-wise, is smart. Like, I don't know if that's actually what he's going for, but in the back of my head, I secretly think he's laughing at all of us, thinking that he's taking him seriously, because we're all still talking about his boys and his family and his brand. And, like, that's what half of this business is about, is branding and building that up. So, like, the fact that we're still talking about him, the fact that we're still giving him airtime and attention and all that, like, he's doing his job for his sons, getting them on the radar, whether that be positive or negative right you know who i actually compare him a lot to huh the president donald trump (laughs) (laughs) Uh. i compare him a lot to donald trump because i mean obviously i agree with you marketing wise he is phenomenal but he says some very outrageous things and i also think donald trump says some very outrageous things and look who we have as president now (laughs) <laughs> so, I mean, you, know, you might be on to something there. I mean, yeah. So it's like maybe this is a trend in marketing as a whole because I think people so maybe just we like, should all be hopping on the big ball. Yeah, I think people <laughs> like the drama. I think people like – that's what people like with social media these days and with things going at the pace they're going with news being so right. on demand. It's hard to remember a lot that goes on in the media. So it's almost well, like you have to say something outrageous right. to really stand out and kind of last – as and, a story for a long time. I don't know, you know if that's a good thing. You know, I don't know if that's a good thing that, you know, it takes something outrageous to get, um, to, that takes attention then away from bigger and more important stories, even outside of the realm of sports. But like to your point and to my point, you know, you said Malik Monk might be, you know, the greatest, one of the greatest, if not the greatest player coming out of this class. Right. What's his dad's name? I have no idea. Right. And so, you know, it's like it's like you already have this this family and this recognition, but then the question becomes, I guess, um, is it something you want to be recognized for? You know, is it like Steve Kerr was saying when he was asked about him, like, is he hurting his son's chances because is it to the point where owners and GMs 
and head coaches in the NBA are going to be like, uh, I don't know if I want to not just take on this dude because Lonzo seems like a pretty laid back guy who works hard um, and is a good player, but do we want to take on his dad who, you know, only says he's going to play for the Lakers and won't let us mess with his shot, even though he shoots like from the hip all the way across his body in a very strange way that I'm not sure will work in the NBA. Like, do you want to take on all that? So for sure he has our ear, but is it going to translate to the, you know, billion dollars up front that he wants? I kind of doubt it. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Like I said, I can't really agree with too much (laughs) of what he says, but what's pretty interesting to me is, kind of the political aspect that you can take from it. We've had, in college basketball especially, we've had players like Shabazz Napier of the Portland Trailblazers. If we go NFL, we can mention players such as Richard Sherman. And even Mm -hmm. this year, we've had Wisconsin, who is known as pretty much the most political team in college basketball this season. And they all kind of took a stand for the lack of money or being hungry and starving and making all this money for this billion dollar industry. And the list goes on and on. And that's kind of been the case for years now. And it's kind of interesting because it's like, well, Hey, maybe as a father of these, of these kids and these students who are playing at the collegiate level, especially the NCAA division one level, do you kind of want to do that and make that move to help your family eat? Because it's like you're making your kids are making so much money for the NCAA, for the branding of the NCAA. Obviously, we see tons and tons of sponsors in the NCAA. But it's like, hey, my kid is the reason why the NCAA can do what it is that it's doing. So it's kind of like I got to get something back, you know. And so, I mean, if that was in, in his case, starting his own brand. It's kind of interesting as as a father myself, I don't think I would I would never go to the extent of LeVar Ball when it comes to what he has mm-hmm. done. But it definitely makes it, me think about it. Like, what if my kid was doing such great things, but he was also being exploited by the NCAA? How do we kind of make that money back that we're earning them? You know, that and right. that we we're earning them like the key word in that is earn. Like we are actually earning that money. My kid is earning that money, but he is not receiving the benefits that he should be for doing so. So, and all of that may be true. I just, I, I, you know, I think you need to key in on your point. Like, I have to believe, right, that there's a middle, there's a middle ground between Lavar Ball and not getting anything or any, you know, bang for your buck type of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I. Well, right now, I don't really know what that middle ground is necessarily. I mean, I myself played NCAA Division three basketball and. At that level, we don't even receive scholarships, but obviously still playing for the school, we are, you know, making money for the school still. So it's just interesting. Like I said, it's definitely something that will make your wheels turn and make you think. I think personally myself, I have a little bit too much pride to say some of the outrageous things that LeVar Ball has said, but it definitely has gotten my wheels to turning and I'm not mad at the guy. Like I said, I just got to compare him to Donald Trump. Donald Trump did pretty much Wait, the same. Wait, that makes you less mad at him? Comparing him to Donald Trump makes you less mad at well, him. Well, well, I think him and, and Donald Trump are on two different ends of the spectrum as far as their beliefs and what it is that they're doing. But I would have to say marketing-wise, 
he pretty much did the same thing that you mean Donald the Trump volatile did. statement and, wise. And yeah, that yeah. Yes. Okay, so, okay, I can get on. I can get on that. And, page. And, I think I need to t- think about this a little more. But yeah, I, I, I'm with you. And, and, but okay. he, and he's successful by doing it. I mean, he's selling shirts and sweaters and hats for like a hundred dollars a pop. And so to me, it's like wow, <laughs> like it's kind of mm-hmm. wowing me. But like I said, is that the way that? This world, this nation no. is going. No. Unfortunately, no. It, is that we where things are going? Like, we need, if that's the leap we're making, I need to. I need to hop off this ship right now. I agree. I agree. No. But I agree. But it's working right now. Like you just cannot deny the fact that unfortunately it's working. Like I said, I'm too prideful to agree with Donald Trump, and I'm also too prideful to agree I with. Hope you're too- I'm um, that too, too that too. too no <laughs> no that plays a part in it me being smart i take pride in how smart i am so you can... <laughs> <laughs> well that's good i am so, so glad uh... <laughs> for you oh boy <laughs> we got a brainiac in the there we go so but yeah i definitely take pride in how smart i am but at the end of the day i can't be mad at what he's doing because it's like hey he's successful so would i be wrong for saying that he's smart as well I'm I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna say okay. No. I know you desperate for a change at the pin glad, but the only real change come from inside. But the only real change come from inside. But the only real change come from the cemeteries are changed. I see men cry. But the only real change come from inside. But the only real change come from inside. But the only real change come from chosen religion. Jesus peace frozen from sinning. Doing dirt, hoping to God, he know my intentions. To see a million before I see a casket. I got a baby on the way, no he gon' be a bastard. I'm living fast like I'm in a drag race. How that cash taste? When I was a senior, I was ballin' on my classmates. Life is all about the That song was Changes by J. Cole on his most recent album, For Your Eyes Only. Now back to the Wake Up and Win podcast with special guest sports journalist Malika Andrews. Now, you've also covered, obviously, you're the editor-in-chief at The Beacon, which is the student-run media outlet at the University of Portland. And you covered a lot of University of Portland sports. I know Mm -hmm. in basketball, obviously we're in basketball season right now, so that's why a lot of this will be a basketball-heavy conversation. But you've covered a lot on Terry Porter this season in his first season as the head coach there. And in one of your most recent Mm -hmm. articles, I've read that there are five players transferring from the University of Portland basketball program. Well, so there likely will be five by the time – this school year is up right now there are officially three officially three huh yeah wow that's incredible and why do you think that is do you think that it's kind of terry porter trying to clean house because obviously they didn't have much success this season and they weren't having much success before terry porter became head coach do you think he's kind of pushing players away or do you think that the players are disappointed in the results they have gotten with him coming in and being the head coach did they think things were just going to kind of just turn around all of a sudden that he was coming in as the coach. 
Well, look, I think, I mean, when you, you know, drop 14 games in a row, it's going to be difficult for anybody to want to stick around because that's hard, right? Like, you players want to win. And that's, you know, that's rough. This season was rough. I don't think they expected it to be a cakewalk um, from the players that I've talked to. But I do think, I mean, you know, for, for Jazz Johnson, who might be, you know, the biggest name that's, that's leaving, who's an Oregon-grown kid, you know, for him, I think it was he didn't see, you know, I think he kind of was iffy a little bit like last year. I don't know if I'm going to stay. I don't know if I'm going to leave. Not to a serious degree, but just a little bit of uncertainty of how are they going to use me. And with Alec Wintering getting hurt earlier in the season, he was a one. He was a point guard. He got to run the floor. He got to run the offense. And I think that's where he sees himself. And I'm not sure that's where the program saw him because he is a talented scorer and sometimes would have to, especially for his freshman year, in order to get minutes, be a little bit more selfish with the ball and be less of a facilitator, or at least in order to make the most of his minutes. So now I'm, what I'm hearing is they want him to go back to that two position, that shooting guard, and he's frankly, he's too small. He's uh, listed as five foot nine, and he doesn't see himself kind of making it at, at the next level as a shooting guard. It's hard enough as a five foot nine point guard. So I think there was just some differences in what they, what he saw. Overall, with all those guys leaving, I think there was some disappointment, and I also think it's just like, it's a residual thing. When you get a new coach, there's going to be new people brought in. You're going to have to play a year, see if you fit the style, see if you don't, see what's happening. So I think I think that's also a really big part of it. A lot of the people that we're leaving too are rumored to be leaving or are probably leaving are role players or guys who've never really seen playing time under Coach Porter. So they probably just don't see themselves as a fit. Some of those guys are people that were recruited, like because Coach Porter came in late, recruited really late in the game, came to Portland, kind of was thrown in there before they really got to look around and are now going the – uh, Juco route. So I, I think there's a little bit of both happening. So do you believe that they will be successful during the Terry Porter tenure, or do you think he's just not quite a fit for the University of Portland as a whole? I Look, I like the Porter family. I think Susie, his wife, is great. I think um, his sons, and actually his daughter too, Brianna, they're all really nice people. And I think they want to do well. And, you know, there's the Portland aspect. So I don't know if it's a Terry Porter specific thing. I don't know if that's the right question, if they can be successful in the Terry Porter era. To me, it's can they be successful in the foreseeable future, period. Because recruiting is so difficult. Because, you know, they've, they've struggled for so long. And I think that's really where there needs to be a change. You need to get good players in order to, you know, use them as building blocks to kind of build a program up. The other thing is it's the WCC. And as we can see with Gonzaga, is there's a pretty clear ceiling as to how good you can get. And I don't know if in the next, you know, five or ten years, you know, Gonzaga would have to – Gonzaga's not going to get any, any worse. Gonzaga has built their dynasty, right? Agreed. So now it's up to everyone else to catch up. And kind of the last point in that is that I'm not sure uh, Terry wasn't known for being a great recruiter when he was an NBA coach. So he's had to put, and, and so he's had to put people 
position assistant coaches as the the big recruiters, and he's kind of the deal closer, right, because he's Terry Porter. I don't know that you can get a more prolific name in the Portland area than Terry Porter as your head coach. So I think they need to give him some time. You know, I don't think it's going to be, you know, next season he's out type of a thing. I need to. I think they need to give him, you know, three, maybe four, even five years. And they should be aiming for a 20-win season and then a 25-win season. Like, they, that's, they, they need to be in the 20s, the high teens in the 20 range, because right now they're in the, like, 11, 10, you know, and that's not going to cut it. Yeah. So I don't think they need to be shooting for the stars. I think they need to be shooting for, like, above 500. Not at all, not at all. Now, how about um, the sports program as a whole at the University of Portland? I know, obviously, they're definitely known as a soccer school, uh, right. being the school that Megan Rapino went to. I also have a professor by the name of Jules Boykoff who played professional soccer, and he played for the U.S. national team, and he went there as well. So I talked to right. him a lot about kind of the soccer program there, although that's not really what I specialize in personally. But what do you think about sports as a whole and the progression of the University of Portland right now athletically? Well, I think I think the lesser-known sports are really good. <laughs> so then and some of that is a non-spectator, which for me, I think of tennis, like tennis is having, you know, one of the best seasons in program history, men's tennis is right now. I don't know a whole lot about men's tennis in terms, like it's not really my specialty, but they're doing really, really well. And, and tennis kind of has had a pretty good track record in the past. Our track and field team is really good. Both our men's and women's teams went to the NCAAs this year. So, like, those teams are really good. The men's soccer team this year did go to the big dance of men's soccer, and they were eliminated in the first round by New Mexico. But I don't, I think they're on the steady incline because it was the new head coach, Nick Carlin Voigt's first season here, and they already made it to the NCAA tournament. So I think next year they'll be poised to make an even deeper run, bringing in more of Nick's recruits. So I think they're looking up. Women's soccer, you know, they've kind of been in a ditch lately, and I don't know what it's going to take, whether that be a coaching change or they need to bring in, you know, more girls that have a little bit more scoring potential to kind of shake that team up a little bit. But we've been known for women's soccer in the past, and it's kind of turning into a men's soccer game. The last team that I think is important to mention that's doing well is women's volleyball. Four years ago, they didn't win a single game. And this year, they finished fourth in the conference, which BYU is like the Gonzaga of volleyball in terms of dominance. So they're kind of chipping away at that. So I think that there is they're getting better. But honestly, in Portland, you know, like Gonzaga in Spokane, the Bulldogs are the only show in town. So people are going to come there. Here there is so much competition for those eyeballs, especially outside of students. So I think that's kind of one of the things that they're going up against, too, in terms of getting those uh, attendance numbers up. Right. Now, I want to ask you a question about women in the sports journalist industry. Obviously, there's been an ongoing stereotype about the disadvantages that women have in that industry. And I'd like to know what the successes you've had so far in your career. How do you combat that? And I'd also like to know, or I would also like for you to give kind of some shout outs to other women who are also <laughs> succeeding 
in this industry that you may look up to and that may be inspiring you to press forward in the work that you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer. Like, I'm a writer's writer. I love to just, like, dig into long pieces. I love to read. I, when I was, like, a kid, I liked to write fiction. So I'm kind of writer first reporter first and then sports just so happened to be like what I kind of ended up in. So I think that being a woman in sports kind of, you know, it can be a disadvantage for, you know, kind of those slew of reasons that you said, but you know, what's really cool you did mention is that there are some women people who just so happen to be women that are doing some really cool stuff right now. And you mentioned earlier networking being important. And so having those people like Ramona Shelburne, Roz Gold on Wu Day, having people like that in positions that they're succeeding, it allows me and other girls to kind of look around, see someone doing what we're doing and ask them questions of how they did. Because I'm not going to pretend that I'm breaking down barriers because women have come before me and started to do that. So I am walking through a doorway that someone else kind of blazed a trail for for me and it's my job not to mess it up right it's my job to reach back and help out the next person right but you know i I like to think of myself as a reporter right i don't walk into a locker room and be like i i am a woman in sports and this is me doing my thing no i'm i'm there to write my story i'm there to you know talk to people um whether it's in a men's locker room or a women's locker room get my story and do you know do my job do the best i can on it and i have some great you know male mentors as well. Mark Spears is one of them who's, you know, like he's Mark Spears and David Aldridge are two of my first calls that I make when I need help making a decision. And so I think people, especially in this industry, are willing to help you out if you show it's what you really want to do. And so I think that's something that's really important and something that I've, you know, really liked. But yeah, let's see. I gave a shout out to Ramona, gave a shout out to Roz. Those are both great people. You know, Doris Burke is one of the best in the game, obviously. <laughs> Literally. For sure. Um, her handles are insane. Yeah. Yeah, so I know, you know, Sage Steele does some cool stuff. You know, there's a lot of them. There's really a lot. Annie Peterson locally is, you know, incredible. She writes the AP. Janie McCauley also with the AP. You know, there's some pretty, there's some pretty bad... Yeah. A women out there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'm actually a huge fan <laughs> you of. You catching that? Edit? Yeah, yeah, I did it. Good <laughs> stuff right there. Way to catch yourself. <laughs> no, but I'm actually a really big fan of Roz Gold. I obviously am from the Bay Area, which you are too. Shout out to us. You know. <laughs> Shout out to us. So yeah, but obviously, so I, I watch a lot of her coverage of the Golden State Warriors. But where I was most impressed with her is how in tune she is with the culture. I actually watched an interview she did with the rapper I Am Sue. Um, Mm -hmm. He has his own kind of like podcast slash talk show. And she was just so in tune with the culture. I was really impressed because you kind of have to be, you know. And she just seems so real and down to earth while she does her job. You know what I mean? Obviously, she's kind of becoming a fan favorite in the Bay Area and really nationwide. But also just to be able to see her go and do an interview with the rapper like I Am Sue and just sound so fluent and just feel so apart. Like, for me, she felt so a part of the culture. It was just phenomenal. I loved it. Ross does a really good job building her brand. And so lastly, I know you've done some NBA coverage, and we're here in Portland. So <laughs> what does the Portland Trailblazers have to do to crack that eighth spot? 
I I was in Denver last summer, um, so I spent a lot of time with the Nuggets, and they have you know a special place in my heart. Um, I covered my first summer league for the Nuggets. You know, great guys, great team, great people, and Nikola Jokic is just I mean. He is something else. Yes, he, is he is a beast. And so I think this game coming up this next week between the Nuggets and the Blazers, Nuggets who currently are the 8th seed, will be huge. I mean, the Blazers, they were a little sleepy earlier this season, you know, but they've started to really come into their own lately with big games from both Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. And I think they need to keep doing that. What will help is if a third person can get hot and help them out with the scoring load because you always know those guys are going to carry their weight. It's about getting a third person to do that. And, you know, Nurkic has kind of done that a little bit, but it's about, you know, kind of who that third person can be to kind of step it up. I think, and I can't tell you why I think this necessarily because it's just kind of a hunch I have that the Blazers are going to pull it out. And I think that just comes from experience. I think the Nuggets are a pretty young team. And when it comes down to crunch time, the Blazers are really good. They've proven to be really good in the last couple of years to be really scrappy and kind of come from behind and get it done. So I think that they can do it, especially if they continue to do what they're doing. But that win over the Cavaliers for the Nuggets the other day was huge because, you know, the Cavs weren't resting anybody. It was kind of like one of those, oh, done deals. The Nuggets are going to lose that one, and they didn't. So that's going to come down to the very end. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. I do hope and pray that the Blazers pull it out. I would love to see some playoff action here in the PDX. And, and then it would be, what, Blazers, Warriors, if the Warriors hang on to the one seed. Exactly. Kevin so, Durant comes so, back, they're hanging so on So, I mean, you got our hometown, and then you have our place of <laughs> residence. I mean, you kind of can't beat that, you know. It'll make, right? it'll make for a lot of fun for us in particular. Plus, yeah, Damian Lillard being from Oakland. Being from know. Oakland, exactly, exactly. So, like I said, I really hope to see Portland pull it out. I think they can. I agree with you. I, I believe they can. And the Nuggets can. will be back. Yeah, for the sure. Nugget, if there's Nuggets fans listening, like the Nuggets, I, they will be back. They're young, you know. Jamal Murray has been a force. They've really started to gel with Jokic, especially. Like, he's going to be a monster, maybe even an all-star next year. Like, this is only the beginning for the Nuggets. Now, who do you have winning the MVP race? Because it's, it's up in the <laughs> air right now. That's definitely you know, been I, a hot topic. At the beginning of the season, I chose James Harden, and I'm going to stick with James Harden. I chose James Harden because I, I mean, well, like he always says, his beard is already the MVP. Um, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, he's, his productivity has been incredible. Um, and, you know, Russell Westbrook has had an amazing year. He's put a team on his back. But at the end of the day, I do think in the MVP race, wins matter, right? And Houston is just, you know, two full spots ahead of the thunder in terms of wins and so i think that ultimately while russell westbrook has been really good really flashy put on amazing performances that i couldn't imagine putting on in my life and yeah historic respect the man historic for that. numbers right historic like yeah you have to respect the man for that but i still think it's going to at the end of the day you know i think it's going to come down to the golden state in houston in the uh, like i i just think that you know those are the two best teams. They're going to end up being the two best teams in the West. San Antonio Spurs, I know they're up there. They're great. And I just, you know, I, I think it's going to be end up, end up going to Harden. 
Yeah, I agree. Great minds think alike. <laughs> I agree. I can't. I honestly can't even say any more because I agree wholeheartedly that James Harden deserves the MVP. But I am definitely impressed with the performance of Russell Westbrook this season. I mean, and, we, I mean, they shouldn't have been in the conversation considering, and they are. Yes, so. yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Well, Malika, I want to thank you so, so much for joining the podcast today. And, uh, yeah, I wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. I know you're going to kill it. And also, is there a place where the listeners can follow you or find your work and things of that sort? Uh, sure, yeah. My um, Twitter handle is at Malika, my first name, M-A-L-I-K-A underscore Andrews. First name, underscore, last name. Okay, anywhere else? My social media is the same across all handles. <laughs> so Instagram, Malika An- underscore Andrews, the same. Snapchat, the same. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all righty, all good, all good. Well, like I said, I wish you the best in your future endeavors. And I appreciate you so much for joining us on the very very first episode of Wake Up and Win. And I think it's going to be a success and we'll definitely be in touch. And like I said, go do what you're doing. You're on the right path. And I appreciate you for coming on to the show. Absolutely. Thank you. All righty. You have a good day. You too. All right. So that, ladies and gentlemen, was Malika Andrews. And I would really, really advise you all to... Just follow her in her journey as a sports journalist. She has already achieved and accomplished so many things. And I mean, obviously, if you're going to have an internship with the New York Times, you kind of can't be in a, in a better position to succeed in the future. She works very hard. She's very humble. And I just foresee great things in her future. And I also want to thank you all the listeners for tuning in to the very first episode of the Wake Up and Win podcast. We have a lot in store for you in the upcoming weeks. We're very excited to be getting things jumped off. So with that being said, stay woke, my friends, and go in.